Thank you, Curtis and Mimi, for sharing your ministry there. I tell you, when I hear these stories, I know it, it blesses your heart, too. When I hear, I mean, from here, you know, in, in technically Orange Park, Florida, Clay County, we, we pray for you, and we, uh, we send financial support, and we, we do those things, and just kind of, we do it, you know what I mean? We pray for you, and we don't know, but man, when you hear, when you hear, like, people are getting saved, and God's doing work, it just fires you up, don't it? It's just like, man, Lord, thank you that we can be here in Florida and have a part on literally the other side of the world. Uh, in the Navy, I sailed by New Zealand. It is on the other side of the world. Uh, literally, we, we have a part in their ministry on the other side of the world. And what an honor it is to be able to do that and that God had let us have a part in that. So thank you for sharing and encouraging us. Uh, and I pray, I pray that boy's mom will get saved. I'm, I'm going to pray that she will. And uh, well, that's a good, that's good stuff. Thank you so much. Well, take your Bibles tonight. <clears throat> we're going to wrap up our study in the life of, of uh, Joseph. And we're going to be in Genesis 45 tonight. And Joseph, the title is Joseph Revealed. We've been waiting on this for weeks that Joseph would reveal, well, a lot of weeks while I was going over summer week, but Joseph revealing himself uh, to his brothers. Now, <clears throat> Again, you, you remember the, the context here. Joseph, there's a soldier man right here on the pulpit. I think it had something to do with the, with the uh, youth uh, put on the whole armor of God because Haley had one and she left it in the car. So I'm going to leave him right there. All right. You, you know, Joseph uh, was one of 12 boys. And uh, 10 of them were rascals, and one of them was his, his blood brother, Benjamin, from Rachel. And these boys, these 12, would end up being the, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is pretty amazing because early on, it wasn't looking good. I mean, early on, the 10 hated Joseph so much that they plotted to murder him, and then they sold him into slavery. And even Joseph, being one of the 12 he spent years as a, as a slave and then years in prison, and it just didn't look good. I mean, if you think about God's plan and all that was going on in his life, and you just saw Joseph's life, you just said, man, I don't know what God's doing, but it looks like it's headed in the wrong direction because Joseph's in jail and they think he's dead, and who knows what them other ten boys are going to turn out to be. Surely God's not going to use a bunch of wicked fellows like that. His hearts are all wrong uh, to carry on his promise to Abraham. But we know, we know that God's sovereign. And we know that God can take a bunch of rascals and, and make them right because he did it to us, didn't he? I mean, he took, I mean, I know you don't like me calling you rascals and rascalettes, but we were, we, we were rascals and, and before we were saved. And yet God had a plan for us, didn't he? And so what we see is God took evil what these boys meant for bad, and he turned it for good, and he turned it to be a blessing. And so that's what we see tonight. Look at verses 1 to 4, uh, and you'll see, uh, we'll talk about the situation here. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who, who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, 
whom you sold into Egypt. This, this scene, as Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, is ripe with emotion. I mean, it is, you know, it's been building up in his heart for, for probably months. And let me just show you how it built up. When he first saw them, when they came the first time to get food, you have to know that his heart burned to, to reveal himself to them and to go hug them. And he hadn't seen, he hadn't seen them boys in years. And, and it's his family, and, and he has so much that he wanted to know. His dad's still alive, and his Benjamin's still alive. His mind and his heart must have just been... And, and remember how he first saw them. He's managing the distribution of food in this famine. And so he sees people every day that come to get food. And when he saw them guys coming up to ask to buy food, it would have probably been very hard for him to keep his composure, to not have an emotional reaction to seeing them there. I know the emotion in my heart when I would do a six or eight or nine month deployment and come home and see my family, the emotions are strong. And so I can only imagine that, that his heart just longed to be restored to them guys, but there was one problem and he knew it. And that's why he was withheld himself. He needed to know were they the same or had God changed them? In other words, here's a critical point that we need to understand. There could be no reconciliation between him and those boys unless they had recognized their sin and confessed it. <clears throat> I mean, think about it. He couldn't be reconciled to them no matter how much he wanted to if they were the same wicked fellows who hated him, if, they, if their hearts had not changed. And so, and so Joseph uh, needed to know if they were if they were different. He needed to know if they were willing to admit that they had sinned. He needed to know if they had confessed it and if they were right with God. And listen, this is something that, we, that we've, we, and I've talked to some people about, this is a thing that I think is missing in our church and contemporary society. There can be no forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to, reconciliation to God unless we're willing to admit we're sinners, unless we're willing to be confronted with the fact that we need a Savior that we're sinful and that God wants to be reconciled to us, but there can be no salvation unless we're willing to confess, God, I am a sinner and I do need to be saved. People don't get saved because they like the music. People don't get saved because they like the fellowship. People don't get saved because they like being part of the church and being in the social group and the social club. People don't get saved because of that. People don't get saved because they raise their hand and sign a card. People don't get saved because they say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, and that's a popular term today. Hey, we're going to want, you know, sometimes churches put in their purpose statement, we want to make followers of Jesus. Well, we do too, but you can only be a follower of Jesus if you meet him in the first place, if you have reconciliation with God. And the only way to have reconciliation with God is to have our sins forgiven. So there's an important lesson that we see in Joseph's approach to these boys. Now, how does he determine and this is really a summary, but how was it he was going to figure out if these guys were still rascals or not? And remember, remember, we're not talking about just a bunch of brothers who are bullies. We're talking about 10 guys who killed everybody in a town one time. We're talking about murderers. We're talking about guys who were mean and going to murder him and sold him into slavery. So he gives them a series of tests, really two. You remember, the first time they came, he accused them of being spies. And he threw them all in jail for three days. And in jail, we, we were privy to some of their conversation. They were, begin, they were going, well, God's found us out, and here we are. So they knew. They, they knew exactly what was going on. 
And then remember, he kept Simeon and he sent the rest of them home. And he said, here, the only way you're going to prove to me that you're not spies and get your other brother back is you go home and bring the young brother that you said you have, and then I'll believe you. Well, what he wanted to do was see Benjamin all along because he loved Benjamin. That was his brother, his full blood brother through, through Rachel. And so you remember the boys go back and they tell their dad, and Jacob's like, there ain't no way Benjamin's going with you guys because, you know, Joseph's gone and he's dead and, and you're going to take Benjamin and he ain't going. Well, they're about to starve to death because the famine's bad. And so Judah finally says to his dad, we got to go back and we got to get food and you got to let Benjamin go. And so Jacob relents and Benjamin goes. Well, when they go back the second time, the second test is, is worse than the first test, remember? When he goes back, he puts his, he puts his, his cup in the Benjamin's bag and accuses him of stealing it and then says, Benjamin's going to have to be my slave forever. And you remember the whole story. Judah stepped in the way. Well, let me point something, out, uh, something else out to us in Joseph's dealings with them. As he's testing them, he's really not trying to hurt them. I mean, he could have. He's the number two guy in all of Egypt, but he's not trying to. And did you notice that when he sent them home the first time, and even the second time, he sent them home with all the food they could carry and put their money back in the bag? So did you notice that while he's testing them, watch this, he's taking care of them? That's pretty good. What does God do to us sometimes? Does he test us? Does he let trials and tribulations and things come in our lives? He sure does. But God always takes care of us even when he's testing us. God always looks after us even when times are difficult. I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It was a verse I'd memorized when I was a teenager and began to read the Bible. There's no temptation, no trial, no difficulty that's overtaken you except such as is common to men. In other words, nothing new is going to happen to you ain't happen to somebody else, Okay. And if this thing comes on you, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said, but God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape or bear up under it. That's a precious verse because here's what you know if you're a child of God. God will never let some difficulty come into your life that's more than you can take. He promised it right there. He promised that if a difficulty comes in your life, he's going to give you whatever you need to, to stand up under it, and it won't overwhelm you. I have held on to that, that verse many times and said, Lord, you said that no matter how difficult it gets, you're not going to let me get overcome. Joseph, remember we said early on in the study, who is Joseph an Old Testament type of? Jesus. Don't you see Jesus all over this? Jesus sometimes will let us get in the fire. He'll let us get into difficulty, but he said, I'll never let you be overcome. And so in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their tests, Joseph is taking care of them. He's feeding them. He's giving them their money back. He's sending them on the way. And so in this second test, when he said, I'm going to keep Benjamin because he stole my cup, the real proof comes out. It was what Joseph was looking for. Judah, representing all of the boys, pled with Joseph to let him take Benjamin's place. He said, look, I told my dad if, if he let Benjamin come that I would give my life as a surety that I would take care of that boy. 
And so what Judah was willing to do is put himself in Benjamin's place and sacrifice himself so Benjamin could go free. Again, who is that a picture of? Is that not what Jesus did for us? He went to the Father and he said, look, they all deserve to be destroyed. They're all wicked and sinful, but I will put myself in their place so they can go free. So Judah goes and does that, and that's the proof that Joseph was looking for. The hatred was gone. The selfishness was gone. And so Joseph knew that they had changed. And then he revealed himself, and notice how he did it. Before Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he cleared the room. Well, you don't have to answer me, but think about it. Why do you think he did that? He said to all the Egyptian servants, all those people that were in the room, out. I suspect he had a personal guard that protected him. What do you think? I suspect there were Egyptian soldiers there. Uh, there was a security detail. And uh, his old boss that used to own him, Potiphar, ran the detail. There's all kinds of questions there I wish I could answer one day. But the fact is, he's got a security detail, and he says, I want all of you out. And it just left him and his brothers. Why do you suppose he did that? I give you two reasons why. The first one, I think, is more important than the second one, but they're both pretty important. I would suggest that when he revealed himself to these boys, they were stunned. In other words, the Bible says here that they were uh, dismayed. The Hebrew word there is often translated in three different ways, dumbfounded, afraid, and terrified. I think they were afraid. I think when Joseph said, hey, it's me. Remember? The one you sold and needed. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. What do you think their first thought was? This just went from bad to worse because he's going to kill us. He's, and he's going to do it slowly. It's going to take a long time. They were afraid. They did, in fact, they had no words. And so Joseph tells everybody to get out. I think, number one, he didn't want, it, he didn't want the Egyptians to hear a private conversation he's going to have with his brothers. He's going to weep, and he's going to weep loudly, and he's going to express his love for them, and he doesn't want people watching that. He doesn't want, he doesn't want anybody to see what's going to go on between him and his brother because it's not their business. The sin was of his brothers against him. And I think he wanted to protect the reputation of his brothers. He didn't want to hear, he didn't want the Egyptians to hear what they had done and what was going on between him and his brothers. Can I say for us in a personal way, our sin is dealt with between us and God. Not, not, it's not other people's business. It's not somebody else's business that, that should get in your business about your sin. It's between you and God. And I think in church, I can make another application. If, if, if I could say there's one thing that is the bane of a pastor's existence, it is gossip. And people talking about other people. Why is it when somebody in church gets upset about something, they take to social media immediately? and just spread it everywhere. Or if they feel offended, they go, they go tell everybody they know as if they're going to build a camp of support for themselves. No, you know what we see Joseph doing right here? And you know what the Bible says to do? If somebody offends you, go to that person. Just you and them. It doesn't take anybody else. 
You can go to a brother or sister in Christ. You should be able to if they're saved and say, hey, you might not know this and you may not realize it, but you really hurt me. And I, and I just got to tell you that it really hurt me and I love you and I just want you to know that, that what you said, what you did, it, it hurt me. And I can assure you if it's a Christian walking with God, you know what you're going to say? I had no idea and I'm so sorry. And when that happens, when the confession between Joseph and his brothers happens, it's nobody else's business. When the brothers, I'm sure it isn't all recorded here, said to Joseph, we were so wrong, and, and God forgive us for, for thinking that and doing that, it's nobody else's business. Joseph lays an example here that we really could follow in the church. It is impossible for human beings to gather together in an organization, even the body of Christ, and not disagree sometimes. It's impossible because our personalities are all different and, and, and what we think is all different. But if two, if two Christians are, ha, have an issue, then those two need to talk to one another and come, come to a loving, Christ-like resolution to it. And Joseph did not want these boys hearing rest of the Egyptians hearing. And I wrote this in my notes, and I believe this is true biblically. Private sin should be taken care of privately. Private confrontation should be taken care of privately. Sin in our lives should be taken care of between us and God. Now, there's one caveat to that in church discipline. If it's a public sin, if someone goes out in public and begins to bring disrespect and, and blasphemy on the name of Christ and on his church by their lifestyle, now it's public. And that has to be dealt with publicly. But even in dealing with sin publicly, what does the Bible say? Go to them one-on-one -on -one first. And then two or three first. Before it ever becomes this thing in church where it's talked about in front of everybody. So Joseph says here, I want everybody out because I got to deal with this with my brothers. We had an issue to deal with. The second reason I think Joseph threw everybody out is he wanted a hug. You say, well, why do you say that? The Egyptians were very clean people. Man, they shaved and they, and they, they didn't have hair. They, they were very clean people. What do you think his brothers look like? Beards, sheep herders, you know, travel, dirty. I can tell you something, Joseph wants a hug. He wants to grab these boys. He wants to kiss them and hug them and tell them that he loves them. So he throws all the Egyptians out. He said, man, we're going we're, we're to hug one another, and we're going we're gonna to show and demonstrate our love. We're going to cry and weep, kind of un-Egyptian. And he's a leader. He's, a, he's an Egyptian leader, so he throws them all out so he can have this relationship. And I was thinking when I was writing this and thinking about uh, Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, it reminded me of the prodigal son, that New Testament story in Luke 15. And without telling the whole story, you know the story. The young boy, the younger son, went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance early and I want to leave. And he sinned against his dad in doing that. Same as these boys sinned against Joseph. He sinned against his dad, but his dad gave it to him and let him go. And the Bible says he, he uh, lived a riotous life, meaning he lived in sin and and had all kinds of fun until his money ran out. And isn't that the way it runs, okay? It's a big day until the money runs out. And then remember it says he came to himself, and he said, my dad's servants have a place to sleep, and they have food to eat, 
and I'll just go home and tell my dad that I'm sorry and I'll just be a servant. I won't be a son anymore. The best part of that story is in Luke 15, 20. Listen to this. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's what Joseph wants with his brothers. He wants to hug them. He wants to fall on their neck. He wants to demonstrate his forgiveness and his love for them. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's confession and repentance. I've sinned against you and before God. Then he said, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Joseph's brothers were lost to him. He was dead to them. And yet when he sees them, he wants to, he wants to embrace them. And so when you read the story, they embraced and they wept. And the boys were afraid. They said, come near. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of salvation. You know, our sin, before we were saved, made us estranged from God, separated from him. But what does God desire that all men would be saved? And so, and so God longs to hold us and hug us and take, him in his take us in his bosom and, and make us part of his family. But sin stands in the way. But when we come and we confess and we ask for forgiveness, what does God do? He holds us in tight and he takes us into fellowship and in his family and he adopts us into his family. And you know what the best part of this story is? Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. He's not looking for revenge. And Joseph didn't have a little notepad in his back pocket and write it down and go, everything's good until you make me mad again. And then I'm going to add it all together. The problem with us when we bury the hatches is we remember where we put it. And we go back and get it. And so what we find here is Joseph expressed complete forgiveness for these boys. No grudge, no hard feeling, no anger. Is that not what God does for us? The day you were saved, here's the best part. When we get saved, God keeps no record of wrongs. God keeps no record of our sin. Why? Because it's forgiven. It's been wiped clean by the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I know the sins that are on that list for me. And I'm thankful they're, they're gone. I'm thankful they'll never be brought up again. I, can't, I can only imagine when a lost man or woman stands before God at the great white throne judgment and the books are open, plural. You know what's written in those books? Everything. Every word they said, every sin, every sinful thought, every sinful intent of the heart, and God's going to read it to them or have the angel read it to them because it's a court and it's the evidence of their sinfulness and the judgment that awaits them. But when you came to Jesus Christ, God wiped the record clean. All that stuff went away. The books don't apply to us anymore. There's only one book that applies to you if you're in Jesus, and it's the book of life. Your name's in that book. I had a fellow one time, I taught on that on the ship. I was talking about the book of life and how you ought to, you ought to get your name in that book by coming to Jesus. 
And right after the Bible study, a guy came to me and said, my name's not in that book. How do I get it in there? I said, sit down. I led him to Jesus. We got done. He prayed. He asked Christ God. I said, now your name's in the book. I said, you're good. And man, he went away a happy sailor. Literally, he was a sailor. So he went away a happy sailor. Your name's in the book. Joseph forgave these guys. Now, they're afraid. Notice what Joseph says to them in verses 5 to 8. But now, he's revealed himself. I'm Joseph that you sent to Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph's first statement is important. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Think about that for a minute. Even as Christians, when we know that we're saved and we think back on the magnitude of our sin, it can be weighty, can it? We think back to what we've done in life and we can be hard on ourselves and we can be judgmental of ourselves. There could be lingering feelings of guilt and of the feeling of judgment. Joseph said to them, don't be grieved or angry with yourself over what you did. What he was saying is I've forgiven you and God's forgiven you, forget about it. That's good advice for us today. Be not grieved about the past in your life. I've had people come talk to me and say, Pastor, my, my past is just so sordid that it haunts me. And I tell them, it don't haunt Jesus because he's already, he's already forgot about it. So you ought to forget about it too. Don't let those things weigh on your heart because no matter what we've done, God has forgiven it. He says, be at ease to them. In other words, allow the grace of God and the grace of forgiveness to, to minister to your heart. You know, Apostle Paul struggled with the same thing. Let me, let me read you something Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Listen, because I persecuted the church of God. It weighed on the apostle Paul's heart all the time that he fought against Jesus and that he persecuted the church. But listen to what he said, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a good statement. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God brought me out of it. He saved me, and I am what I am. I'm an apostle. He says, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said, it bothers me every day that I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, the one I now love. He said, but I am what I am. God called me as I was. God called me out of that sin, and God saved me anyway. And I say the same to us today. No matter what our background is, no matter what the history of our life is, no matter what sins we've been involved in in the past, when we got saved, we started all over. When we got saved, we started fresh. When we got saved, God wiped all that out. That's encouraging. That's encouraging to never have to answer 
for the past. Again, Paul was encouraged about it. Now, the second thing Joseph says here is not only do I want you to be encouraged and not be troubled, but he said, I want you to understand the right view of this. Now, you, you might ask yourself, how is it that Joseph could be so forgiving? How is it that Joseph could be so compassionate to a group of guys who wanted to kill him? I, I mean, from a human perspective, wouldn't you be tempted just a little bit if you're the, like the number two guy in Egypt and they show up to mess with them a little more? I mean, wouldn't you just be tempted to do that? Wouldn't you just be tempted to, to throw them in the pit for a while? You know, let them see how it feels. Maybe lock them. When they, hey, when he locked them in prison, I think he locked them in the same one he spent years in. They had to spend the night, three nights or three or four nights in the same prison where he was. But Joseph had none of that. You know why? Listen to this now. Because he had a right view of life. He said to them, God sent me here before you to preserve life. In other words, what Joseph said is, you meant evil. You meant to do me harm. Uh, but God was doing something all along. I was right where God wanted me. When I was a slave here, I was right where God wanted me. When I was in prison, I was right where God wanted me. And now I'm the prime minister of all of Egypt, and I am right where God wants me. Do you see and do we understand that when we, that when we, when we grasp the truth that for the child of God, there are no accidents. For the child of God, there are, there are no, there's no chance of things in your life. Your life is under the sovereign control of Almighty God. And it doesn't matter if, if people around you make bad choices or, or, or things in life happen to you because of circumstances outside of your control. They're not outside of God's control. And God is, God is a specialist in making good out of bad. And what God did here and what Joseph is telling these boys is God sent me before you to preserve life. You meant evil, but God used your evil to bring about good. Now listen, when we have that view of life, that'll give you peace. When we have that view of life, you don't go around questioning, why did God let that happen to me? And why did God let this happen to me? And why did this difficulty happen to me? If God loved me, he wouldn't let that happen. If God, that doesn't mean we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that we understand why all these things happen. I would suspect that when Joseph got sold into slavery and was thrown in prison, he probably had a couple of nights where he sat down in the prison going, God, I know you're doing something, but I don't have a clue what it is. I can't see it from here. God has a purpose. And so Joseph told his brothers, listen, don't be angry with yourselves because God turned your wickedness into a purpose that he had. Now, finally, the thing I want to spend the last few minutes on, I like his promise to take care of them. Look at verse 9. He said, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Verse 11. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there is still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that I, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father 
of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell, now look at this, verse 40, and then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with them. What a reunion. What a reunion. Let me show you a couple of things here, and we'll close. The first thing he said is, go get dad and do it quickly. Why did he add that on there? Go get him and do it right now. Do it in a hurry. Go get him and bring him back here. Well, one, he ain't seen him. He won't see him. He loves him. But when you have good news, don't you want to tell somebody in a hurry? In other words, Joshua said, look, I want, uh, Joseph said, I want you to go and tell dad quickly because I want him to know I'm alive. I want him to hear the good news. Kind of way it is with the gospel, isn't it? We got the good news. Don't we want to tell people quickly? Don't we want, aren't we urgent about it? Don't we want to tell them? They need it. You're not promised tomorrow, so we should tell them quickly. Now, I like the rest of the story, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but let me, let me just tell you what happens. The servants in Joseph's house heard him weeping and wailing, and they realized that these were his brothers. And so Pharaoh finds out. And Pharaoh is excited that Joseph's brothers are there, and he finds out about Joseph's dad, and he finds out about the whole deal. And so Pharaoh says, look, not only do I want you to go get your father and get the rest of the family and bring them back here, but take some carts. Take some, take some carts so they don't have to walk. And so can you imagine when the, when the brothers showed up to get, to get Jacob, think about how they showed up. They showed up with Egyptian carts. These carts are loaded down with the best stuff in Egypt. They're loaded down with food. They still ain't paid for their grain because he put the money back in the bag again. Changes of clothes, garments. Joseph, at, and at Pharaoh's instruction, loaded them down. And, said, and, and, and then Pharaoh said, don't worry about bringing any of your stuff. Because in Egypt, we'll give you the best we got. So leave your furniture, leave your refrigerator, leave your bed, leave, 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 your air, leave everything and just come to Egypt and we'll give you new stuff. We'll give you a new place to stay. We'll give you new furniture, a new refrigerator. We'll give you new everything. We'll give you a house with air conditioning. Come to Egypt. They didn't have air conditioning. They did. The people with fans standing there. There's air conditioning. So we'll, you come to Egypt and we'll give you everything. You don't need all that old stuff. Come here. We'll give you new stuff. One more time. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. What does Jesus say to us when we get saved? Leave all that old stuff. Don't bring it with you. You know, all that old stuff in your life, just leave it there. Why? Because I'm going to give you all new stuff. I'm going to give you a new, a new heart. I'm going to give you new, a new attitude. I'm going to give you new desires. I'm going to give you new wants. You ever hear somebody say, man, I'd get saved, but I just, I can't give up these sins. Here's the deal. Get saved. God will take care of all the wants, okay? Because Jesus said, if you'll come to me, leave all that old stuff, just drop it, and, uh, and I'll give you all new stuff. And I think the best part is I'm going to get a new body one day. The old one, I'm just going to leave it. 
it'll get left here. Might be in the grave. I don't know. I hope the rapture comes. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if we were all eating fried chicken at a social and, and banana pudding and the rapture happened? I'd probably drop my chicken wing. Be all right. Because Jesus said, leave, just leave that stuff. Leave it alone. But you know why some people won't get saved? Because they won't drop the old. Don't turn it loose. They hold on to it. You know, I'm going to close. You know raccoons? Raccoons are pretty smart for a raccoon, I guess. But they'll grab stuff, and they won't let it go. Well, you know when you ball up your fist, it's bigger than when you put your hand in there. And if they put their hand in something, and they try to get their hand out, they can't figure out that they're not that smart. They can't figure out that they can't get their hand out, okay? And, and they hold on. They, just hold, they won't let go. They hold on. There are people who won't come to Jesus because they got a hold of sin, and they think they just got to hold on to it. Just got to hang on to it. Like Joseph, Jesus says, just drop that stuff. Just let it go. Turn it loose. And the stuff that I'm going to give you will be way better than that. You don't need that. Let me read you one verse. Joseph wanted his dad and his family with them. He wanted them in Goshen where he could take care of them, fellowship with them, and be near them. You know Jesus wants the same for us? Listen to this verse. John 17, 24. Father, Jesus is talking to God the Father. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Man, that's good. Jesus, the Son, is telling God the Father, I want those that you gave me to be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, I want them to share in what you've given me. Man, that's good stuff. Joseph's an Old Testament type of Jesus in every way in every way. Well, if you're watching online tonight or you're here and you've never been saved, could I encourage you to turn loose of whatever you're holding on to in the world? Just turn loose. Just leave it. Come to Jesus. Confess your sin. Ask him to save you. And he'll give you all new stuff. New heart, new life, new outlook on life, new view. Come to Jesus. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, what a marvelous story about the life of Joseph, Lord. We studied it over many weeks, God. What an Old Testament picture it is of grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. Uh, God, just what you extend toward us. Lord, if there's somebody in the hearing of your word and they've never been saved, Lord, right now, may they consider uh, that you love them and you want to save them. And God, may they just confess their sin and ask you by faith to save them, Lord. May you move on their heart. Bless the invitation time in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and sing, if I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. Thank you for coming back on Sunday night. If you don't know how many kids are over there, you'd be amazed. You ought to see them. And they're, they're, 
there's a bunch of them. And, and also, the, the, I want to say how grateful I am for the adults 